Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. Thanks for joining us. Uh, make sure that wherever you're listening to us, iTunes or any other platform, you're subscribing and tell your friends, your colleagues, your family to do so as well. And you can always find our archived um, episodes at the Gotham Gazette or CBC website. So plenty of places to find the podcast and share it. Um, and you can also give us feedback. Um, we're at Gotham Gazette and at CBCNY on Twitter. I'm at TweetBenMax. Maria's at Maria Dula. So plenty of places you can find us. Um, And we're off to a fun, good start this year for the podcast. Uh, We're ready now into February here, and uh, we've had a bunch of good episodes this year, and we certainly had many in 2017. If you missed any of those, check them out. So today, um, we are excited to be joined by Dana Rubenstein from Politico New York. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Uh, Thanks for being here. Uh, Dana covers transportation, infrastructure, has a special focus on the MTA, and that is going to be uh, at least the initial focus of our conversation here today, all the things happening with the MTA and related topics and political dynamics. Uh, Dana writes really insightful stuff about the MTA and has recently talked with MTA Chair Joe Loda, so we're going to get into some of that. And you should really read um, all the things that, that Dana writes about anything really, um, but especially transit and uh, and the MTA. So before we get to Dana, just a little more from Maria with today's data point. Today's data point is $418 million, the amount that MTA Chairman Joe Loda and Governor Andrew Cuomo want Mayor Bill de Blasio to commit to the Subway Action Plan, the emergency plan to address essential subway repairs and, in their own words, stop failing customers. Many of you need no reminder about the chain of events behind this, but here's a quick recap anyway. Loda unveiled the plan in July, a few weeks after Cuomo declared the subways to be in a state of emergency, following months of delays, disruptions, and even derailments on the subways. Phase one of the plan was to begin immediately and promised improvements within one year by focusing on key drivers of delays and disruptions, namely signal, track, and power problems, but also water damage, fires, litter, sick passenger aid, and police activity. The cost, $456 million in operating dollars and $380 million in capital investment for a total of $836 million. Governor Cuomo pledged half the amount, and the governor and the MTA chair have called on the mayor to contribute the other $418 million. Mayor de Blasio has refused, saying the state should replace funds that have been diverted from the MTA to state coffers and has instead backed a millionaire's tax as a new revenue source. Now the state executive budget introduces legislation to require the city to fund half the subway action plan. Also thrown into the mix this legislative session are controversial measures to shift responsibility for New York City transit capital funding exclusively to the city, a congestion pricing proposal, and proposals to capture city property tax revenues to fund subway capital improvements. So here to break it down for us is Dana Rubenstein. Hi, Dana. Hi, Maria. So... Uh, a lot there, obviously, yeah. and you've been tackling all of it as closely uh, as anybody. So let's start, though. You recently wrote a piece, um, Can Joe Loda Save the Subway? Mm-hmm. Um, so just tell us a little bit about what you were getting at there and how it ties in to our data point here today in this subway action plan and the, the money that's being demanded. So there was an expectation when Joe took over that we would be seeing the Joe Loda that we saw the last time he was the chairman of the MTA, which was the sort of 
independent seeming guy who helped steward the MTA through the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy to such great acclaim that he decided to leave the MTA and run for mayor. Uh, but this time around, he's, uh, critics say anyway, that he is uh, showing really very little independence at all from the man who appointed him, Governor Andrew Cuomo, and has become instead more of a Cuomo attack dog against Cuomo's uh, perpetual foe, Bill de Blasio. So, you know, there's this question whether Loda is the best person for the position at this moment in time. If the MTA wants to get money from the city, then presumably you need someone to run the MTA who's capable of dealing with the city in some sort of um, measured way. And uh, when you have the chairman of the MTA instead acting as some sort of attack dog against the mayor, um, it's just not clear how constructive that is. And so where do we stand on this on this money and on this action plan? Is the action plan being delayed in its implementation as was sort of threatened? Do from, we have a sense? No. From what I can tell, they keep threatening to delay it or, you know, they use other language like, I can't even remember the words they use, but, you know, elongate it, drag it out, make it stretch across more months, whatever. Um but I haven't seen any sign that that's actually happening yet. And so the status quo remains, which is Cuomo and his surrogate and Loda keep demanding the money, and the mayor keeps saying no. And that's, that's it. And now we're left with a situation, as Maria said, where in state budget negotiations, they're going to decide whether to require yes. the city to put that forward. Well, not only – so what's interesting about it is not only would it require the city to put that money forward for this subway action plan, but it would require that whenever the governor declares a declaration of emergency pertaining to the MTA and to put funding toward that emergency, the city would have to match whatever the state puts forward. So it would apply to all declarations of emergency going forward. So it's really pretty sweeping. Wow. Yeah, so they're really trying to put the press on the city here to say, well, you know, you kind of won't willingly come to the table, even though it was just a few years ago that Mayor de Blasio increased the city's capital contributions mm -hmm. to the MTA. Mm -hmm. um, and if you won't come to the table, well, we're going to find ways to try to make you contribute, be yes. it through mandating a contribution to this action plan, mm -hmm be it through um, saying, well, you know what, the statute, mm -hmm. we are reinterpreting, or the original intent, they would say, of the statute was that the city should pick up capital contributions mm -hmm. and the state was sort of helping you out all this time. Mm -hmm. um, or be it even after going through the city's property tax revenues to say, hey, you know, there the, these Im improvements like Second Avenue Subway are important. Some might say they're transformative. Um, they spur growth in an area and, you know, some of that value should be captured to pay for it. Um, but all kinds of problems with all of these proposals and the politics, um, uh, you know, the politics around them, you, the governor has not generated a lot of support. No, I mean, I think one of your colleagues probably used the most charitable word one could to describe the uh, proposals in the budget, uh, the budget, which are, you know, the word he used was heavy-handed. I mean... Right. Hi, Jameson. I, yes, Jameson. And, um, you know, some of Cuomo's uh, allies will argue that these are mere sort of leverage-making exercises, which, I mean, they very well may be. I, I don't think 
it's hard for me to imagine the legislature would approve a budget that would shift all subway capital funding obligation to the city. Um, but, but the threat of it is pretty scary, I'm sure. And right. they and again, if it's an opening negotiation yes. point, yeah. you call for all, and mm-hmm. maybe then the compromise still comes out in a way that Cuomo's happy with if it's a portion of that. Right. Um, the value capture zones, I think, are interesting yeah. because those seem... You know, one of the things that Mayor de Blasio has tried to frame in his pushback is, hey, John Flanagan, you know, state Senate leader from Long Island and others, Mm -hmm. you don't want the state, you know, you don't want the governor then doing this in your neck of the woods, you know, with with investments. Sure. I mean, what's, again, the issue with that proposal is not that it's value capture. People love value capture, right? Right. It's It's a great idea theoretically, mm-hmm. though that there have been some problems with it, but a great idea for when you're building new infrastructure and you want to find a way to fund it. The mayor wants to use it for BQX. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good point. Thank you. <laughs> and there are, of course, issues with his, you sure. know, you know, mm-hmm. sure. pro- you know, like everything, <laughs> devil is in the details. But the, the issue with this proposal is that it would apply to existing projects, like mm-hmm. the second phase of the Second Avenue subway, projects that are under construction, like East Side Access. It would only apply in New York City. It would allow the MTA to to carve out a district a mile wide. I mean, New York City is not that big. A mile is a lot. Uh, without any sort of city approval. I mean, it's, it's really like a very dramatic yes. proposal, up to 75% of the of the, the increment. increment, which the increment would be determined again by the MTA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a pretty remarkable proposal. And, and, yeah. and, and then so, the, the powers to create these districts were already granted legislatively in the past, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, I think the, this proposal sort of forces it, and there's also the aspect of it that's retroactive. I yes. mean, this is TIFs are most effectively used when you're kind of thinking of a, of a space that is underutilized, mm-hmm. not developed. You know, you want to bring in some new infrastructure to spur the construction, and you know, kind of like Hudson Yards to spur this new development of an area. Um, you can't can't go back and say, well, we sort of need more money, so this investment we've already paid for and already done, we're going to walk it back and construct a retroactive TIF around it. And by the way, we're going to take local revenues without giving the local government any approval over the matter. Right. And moreover, to not if, let's say you want to do value capture, you could make an argument that it should be used in you know for tra- you know in places where transit oriented development could take root along the Long Island Railroad, which is going to benefit from east side access. As you said, places where there is actually room to have new development. And one of the most frustrating things about the governor's office's posture in this whole discussion is that they keep insisting that the their proposal would not apply retroactively or to projects under construction when the language in the budget could not be clear. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it really, I hadn't yeah, seen, it, I, I mean, you just have to look at the that. language, yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and, you know, it's for projects as, you know, we'd like to think that they're talking about projects as large as the 2nd Avenue subway mm-hmm. or the 7 Line extension, East Side Axis, but really the value play, you know, pegged for these districts is as small as $100 million, mm-hmm. right? So you can talk about station rehabs of that amount that are unlikely to really spur any development in an area, and yet the MTA would be allowed to capture revenues under that proposal. So... 
really, really problematic. You know, value capture in and of itself is a tool, not good, not bad. Some better uses, some poorer uses. We've got a checklist for anyone who wants to sort of explore that on our website. Um, but the, the construction of it in this way is, is heavy-handed and is not appropriate. I mean, a lot of what seems to be going on, and Maria alluded to this a little bit, is the state budget's in rough, you know, fairly rough shape, mm-hmm. not catastrophic shape, but, you know, the governor's trying to close a multi-billion dollar deficit, and the MTA long-term finances look really rough, right? So these are tricks being pulled out of a bag in some ways, and the governor and his people haven't been shy about saying, you know, New York City's doing really well. Uh, look at your reserves. They use the word surplus, you know, uh, to the mayor. And, you know, the state used to help the city out when the city was in rougher shape. And now it's a little bit reversed. So, you know, we're all in this together. <laughs> right. But to some extent, well, A, the state has reserves, correct? Yes. And they're not huge relative to the size of the budget. There's some small piece there. But B, New York City funds the state. Right. Right, so it's just, I mean, it becomes just a political argument that obfuscates the reality of how, you know, financially, I mean, this is not my strong suit, that's Maria's, but, you know, New York City's taxes fund the state's budget. And I'm, that's right, and and they fund the MTA, right? Well, that's I mean, what I was it's seventy yes. percent of MTA taxes in some cities are derived from people living in the five boroughs, right? And, and from New York City. Mayor De Blasio uses lots of leaps of logic, and I'm, right. you know, happy to be among those quick to point those out. But when he goes to Albany, he says what you just said. Mm-hmm. You know, we New York City residents and commuters are already funding this MTA mm-hmm. money, no matter how it gets funneled and moved around, is a good argument yeah. and, and, and convincing and, point. And the way the CBC has thought about this, you know, we actually say the level of tax, you know, in, in terms of thinking holistically about how you fund something like the MTA, is already there. Where you want to go is, again, on the fares and especially on the user fees, the cross-subsidy, which brings you to congestion pricing. Um, and that's one of the reasons we've supported because we feel there needs to be more cross subsidy of motorists, you know, into the transit system. And so that proposal is on the table now from the governor. What do you think? Sort of. Pro- yeah. yeah. I mean, we need. We still need to see a real bill. Yeah, right? we haven't seen a bill. I mean, although that's that's one where the bill could be. M- there could be no bill until the last the end. Yeah. yeah, actually, the thirty day amendments are coming out today too. I'm not. I doubt something will be submitted right. as part of that. But you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you know? Concept, there's stuff out right. There. How, how, so how do you see the politics shaping around? Is there a better chance of this passing this time around? Probably, if only because the governor's put so much political capital, probably at least, into it so far. I, I, you know, I've always, I've been a strong skeptic of him actually following through because it is an election year, and the idea that he would put tolls to enter, you know, the central business district has struck me as a long shot, but I, who knows? I think definitely there will be some sort of new fee on for hire vehicles like Uber. Like that seems like low hanging fruit, and not that politically difficult for him. Um, we'll see what happens with the central business district and what he decides to do. I, I can't, I can't predict. I mean, a couple things on that. One, even what the Fix NYC panel put out, you don't really have that for three years, right? That's the third year that it really starts to hit people. So maybe you pass something close to the Fix NYC panel proposals this year, 
in an election year you claim you've taken action on mm -hmm. the MTA and people aren't really feeling the hit for a right. couple more years. Maybe by that time he's running for president, though, and people are very unhappy, but that's that's a ways off, right? Right. So, there, so there's a little bit of that. It is fascinating. I hadn't really thought about this too much coming into this. I don't know if you have thoughts on this, but even that Uber is behind congestion pricing is sort oh, of... Not surprising at all. Though. Well, that's not what I was yeah. going to say is surprising. Yeah. But it, it just seems a little bit surprising to me how uh, it was just a short time ago that Cuomo was championing, you know, legalizing Uber and Lyft mm -hmm. everywhere. And now, <laughs> and like the big blowback against de Blasio trying to rein, rein them mm -hmm. in a bit, which we know had uh, some, at least somewhat nefarious background with his taxi allies. But um, the pushback against that and Cuomo coming to the rescue and legalizing, and now everybody's like, well, maybe we need to rein these guys in mm -hmm. a little bit more. No, that's all very true. Yeah. I mean, de Blasio turns out to have been no matter his motivations, his argument that it was a congestion issue always struck me as a sound. I don't think he was able to support it with good data. I don't think they rolled out their plan well. I don't think they were prepared politically for the backlash. Um, but, yeah, he turns out to have been prescient. And, uh, and you're right. And now, and now Uber is very supportive of congestion pricing because they don't want this merely to be a for-hire vehicle tax. They don't mm -hmm. want to bear the brunt. Mm -hmm. They want to share the pain. Let's come back to Joe Loda for a minute. Um, when you wrote the Ken Joe Loda Save the Subway, you interviewed him. You've obviously interviewed him before and asked him lots of questions at press conferences. Um, but talk a little bit more about interviewing Loda and who he is and you know, along with the governor and, and some people Loda's hired, these are the people responsible for fixing this mess, right? That's true. What should folks know about Loda, know about his style, his leadership? Um, like everyone says Loda's a good manager. He gets a lot of credit for uh, the cleanup after Hurricane Sandy, although some people will say that it's really Tom Prendergast, who was running New York City Transit at the time, who should get more credit uh, than he does. You know, be that as it may, he's thought of as a good manager. He um, well, part of that is also from his experience in the city as deputy yes, mayor, right? Right. He was deputy mayor and budget director for Giuliani, and he just, you know, at NYU Langone, he holds an important managerial position. So he's got tons of experience. He's clearly very intelligent. He's he's charming in sort of like a quirky, idiosyncratic way. Um, He's an interesting guy, and uh, it's, you know, I, I've realized recently that my understanding of him has been kind of incomplete, because it was largely based on his Hurricane Sandy response and his mayoral run uh, when he served as sort of like a useful foil to de Blasio. Um, but he's emerging as a more complicated figure now. And he... Um talked, I think, a little bit to you about, you know, what he learned from that mayoral run that didn't go well, that he's not a, he's not a political candidate type of guy, but sure. he's a manager, you know, right. I mean, that's supposed to be his thing. But what's interesting is now he's playing such a political role. I mean, the chairman of the MTA is supposed to be a, uh, a it's supposed to be a political role. You're supposed to be sort of like this, this somewhat statesman-like character who can, you know, interact with the various stakeholders in the MTA. Um, 
And it's supposed to be somewhat managerial too, although because his chairmanship is technically, <clears throat> excuse me, part-time, he created an office of the chairman that's supposed to take on most of the managerial stuff. Um, but it's, it's not, you know, his political acumen has, it's never been a strong suit, right? So now he's in this very political role when supposedly his strong suit is his managerial acumen. And it's, it's partly political because you have an MTA board yes. that is appointees of the governor and the mayor and some of the counties yes. um, that, that form the metro area. Yeah, and I think some of the mayor's appointees are starting to get a little bit more bold now, right? Yes. We see them pushing back on the capital plan, yeah. really saying, you know, we're not going to vote to improve this enhanced station initiative. The money should be better prioritized for more critical infrastructure. Yeah. So he's got to, you know, he's got to manage this this changing dynamic a little bit because it's I, my take is kind of like the the popular there's been a shift in that the sense that the mayor would always get blamed for the subway which was like the traditional thinking about it that's kind of shifted now this is pretty much squarely in the governor's court you yeah. know and people recognize it as the governor's responsibility what's extraordinary is that his his uh, for example alfonso david's his counsel spoke yesterday at a crane's breakfast and i listened to the recording of it afterwards and he is still making that assertion that the governor does not control the MTA. I mean, it's really an extraordinary thing. But to your point about the board getting more restive, it's it's become not even just the mayor's appointees, right? Like you had that extraordinary episode where a majority of the board authorized the retention of Cravath, a major law firm, uh, to explore the possibility of a suit against the MTA for its application of the governor's emergency order allowing the MTA to push procurements through without um, board approval. I mean, there's just like a sort of general simmering level of dissatisfaction at the board beyond just the mayor's appointees. Um, it's, you know, it's an unusual thing. And it, sort of in the context, I mean, what do you, like you said, there have been all these managerial changes at the top at the MTA. Yeah. So you have Pat Foy is there now. Rocky, Ronnie Hakim is still there. Uh, there's a new president from New York City Transit, yeah. right? So we've got all these people who have tons of transit experience, mm -hmm. both here and, and in other systems there. Um, you know, how do you, how do you see that shaping up? What do oh, you think? Oh, man. I, you know, I don't really understand how that whole thing is can work, right? I mean, my interpretations are, well, first of all, like, the, the, the rumor is that Jana Lieber, who's part of the office of the chairman, and Pat Foy, uh, who's part of the office of the chairman, uh, don't get along. So that's two of four people, right? Ronnie Hakem, uh, you know, it's just not clear to me who's in charge of what. I'm not sure it's clear to anyone who's in charge of what. And then you have the new New York City Transit head, Andy Byford, who's been sort of trotted out as the guy who's going to save the subway. He's got a great reputation. But the truth remains that he reports to those four people, Joe, Pat, Ronnie, and I guess probably not Jano, and also the governor. So it's, it's I mean, it's, will they allow him to, to have sort of... Um, freedom to do what he thinks necessary, and even if he does have the freedom to do what he thinks necessary, you know, the whole thing is kind of a mess. I mean, that's how he, you know, Andy Byford is one of the only people listed there who doesn't have a long history in New York. This is right. someone coming from out of town who's worked, I mean, this is what he's sort of done, is come into cities to, to improve, fix, mm -hmm. save systems. Uh, he basically came in saying, you know, I got guarantees that I'm going to be able to do my thing. 
Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we we'll see. Yeah. There I mean, are I, a lot I, of other factors I, at play, I, I, right? I hope that, I hope, you know, I hope you have an upcoming piece, Can Andy Byford Save Me Somewhere, <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, but just to underscore Maria's point um, quickly, and obviously this is something that Mayor de Blasio has, has beat the drum on, but there's a new Quinnipiac poll out this right. morning that we're talking that, that New York state voters disapprove 49% to 29% of the way Governor Cuomo is handling the MTA. And in New York City voter within New York City voters, it's 62 disapprove to 32 approve. Um, so uh, there are some stark numbers out there in terms of that, and it's all fairly obvious. And nobody, I don't think, would look at that and really bat an eye. But there, there has been a bit of a shift in in how the blame is assigned. It seems. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's one of the reasons that the mayor feels like he can continue to deny. Uh, that 400 million and change to the MTA, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these Albany negotiations play out. And you know, we should also talk a little bit more when we talk about this leadership stuff. You had a uh, a, a scoop about Loda's how he's <laughs> dividing his time, but yeah. but not even his time. I mean, that is somewhat. A, obscene already, what he was already doing, being a full-time leader of a major health center system and uh, being chair of the MTA, but then there's even more to it, and it's not even just his time, but it's also conflicts, right? Right, or the appearance of conflicts, potential conflicts. So he, in December, joined the board of Madison Square Garden Company, which, as the name suggests, controls Madison Square Garden. And there are several ways that could prove to be a conflict with his chairmanship of the MTA. I mean, most obviously, Madison Square Garden uh, sits on top of Penn Station, which is, you know, the main terminal, or I guess the only terminal in Manhattan for Long Island Railroad. There are two subway stations there. Uh, The MTA is putting up a lot of money to fix those two subway stations. There's a lot of interaction between the MTA and the Moynihan Project. I mean, you know, there are arguments from advocates going back decades that the only way to fix Penn Station is to relocate Madison Square Garden. But then you have some other interesting conflicts that have um, arisen surrounding that, like the issue of Belmont, which uh, where the islanders are moving and where one of the sort of expectations was that the MTA would fix up the uh, train station there. One of the developers of the new arena there is Madison Square Garden. So it's just, you know, generally I think the rule is you're supposed to avoid even the appearance of a possibility of conflicts for the sake of, you know, the public trusting in your uh, good judgment. So, you know, um, you know, it's it's a lot. He's got a lot on his plate, and I'm not sure how he juggles it all including the conflicts and he says he basically doesn't he, sleep he says he doesn't sleep and, <laughs> and he says he, he refuses him, him. Yeah, and yes. that he they he recuses himself yeah. and and uh but that might mean an awful lot of recusal but then he's got his his office of the chair to, <laughs> to step, step in. in i mean it's very complicated well i think you know he could have avoided a lot of this had he merely disclosed his um directorship of the madison square garden company when it happened in December but he didn't so wrapping up I want to touch on two other kind of points with you Um, 
One is kind of the infrastructure plan that President Trump just released mm -hmm. and what it means for our area. And the other is, you know, Mayor de Blasio, you touched on a little bit about how he was prescient when it came to kind of Uber and, in, and the four high vehicles and their rolling congestion. Um, he released a new traffic plan earlier, well, last year. Um, and he's also one of the, his signature initiatives in the first term was Vision Zero. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you, what do you see as the successes and the, the weaknesses and the failures of that, the mayor's approach to, to traffic and, and transportation issues? The mayor's not really ever been a transportation-focused guy, right? It doesn't seem to come easily to him. Um, he's done Vision Zero, which has been successful based on just the numbers at reducing traffic deaths. He likes to cast it as this whole new endeavor, but it really is just an extension and expansion and rebranding of the policies begun under Jeanette Sadi Khan, Mayor Bloomberg's former trans or transportation commissioner. Um, but, you know, that seems like a pretty clear success. Um, other than that, his transportation agenda has been kind of And that street safety, existent. it's not even, you know, it's not getting people around. Right. Right. It's obviously important to do street safety, but it's it's very different than some of his other ferry. Sure. So the ferry system, which he, he claims is a novel new invention, but which builds on the sort of Christine Bloom and Christine Quinn Bloomberg ferry system is, you know, people like it, but it doesn't move a lot of people. He's got his BQX proposal, which uh, seems to have ground to a halt and which also wouldn't move a lot of people and would cost $2.5 billion. And, you know, so he's not really, transportation is not really his thing. And I mean, people are calling him to to do things related to buses, which is not a sexy thing. But people are saying we can get we can get buses moving faster. Yeah, There's I mean, a crisis he, with the buses too. He's expanded yeah. select bus service, which was again begun under the former administration. It's people like it. It could be a lot better if they actually set aside dedicated lanes for the buses, but that's a politically tricky thing to do. There was some idea that they would do it on Woodhaven Boulevard and Cross Bay and Queens, which would have helped me personally. <laughs> um, instead, they have those sort of red painted lanes. They're, they're nice, it improves the commute, but it could be a lot better. And then you get people, when you have bike lanes and bus lanes, you get a lot of angry drivers. Which is kind of crazy, because I will say the traffic on Woodhaven now moves in a much more organized fashion. I mean, it actually moves better. Reaction and, and we should change. note, the, the buses are, again, part of the MTA, but the mayor, yes. because of control of city streets, mm -hmm. has more that he could do and really, and obviously doing things related to bus lanes is much cheaper than building new subway Yeah, <laughs> there are, there are right. cities that have really fantastic, you know, uh, uh, bus rapid transit service that moves tons of people really quickly. And one of the encouraging, interesting things that Andy Byford, the new MTA city transit chief, said is, you know, we have a subway action plan, emergency plan. Maybe we need a bus yeah. emergency plan. Mm -hmm. He was just a few days on the job, so who knows if he's <laughs> done anything else on that. But I think that's very real, especially if you're going to do a congestion pricing plan. We're part of that, you know, the calculus there, at least politically, has to be improvements um, where they're, you know, you're underserved by transit. And I think bus is the solution there for a lot of these communities. Well, that's so. one of the big things they say London did before it put its congestion pricing plan into effect was dramatically improve bus service. It's hard to imagine something dramatic happening here. 
But. There were just some rallies yesterday, the day before, yeah. Riders Alliance and some elected officials mm-hmm. calling for Mayor de Blasio to be the bus mayor. Um, so maybe there's some political push coming, you know, on that that he'll have to pay attention yeah, to. Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly there will be more attention on buses with the L train shutdown mm-hmm. um, and with and with a potential congestion pricing plan. So right. that'll definitely be something. Else. So. Dana Rubenstein, our last minute or so here, Maria had mentioned the Trump infrastructure, what do we call it, outline, idea? (laughs) Proposal. (laughs) Proposal. What what does it mean for some New York-minded folks? uh, It it doesn't bode well, but, you know, it requires congressional approval, so Mm -hmm. the the thinking is that it doesn't matter all that much anyway. that, you know, New Yorkers should hope it doesn't matter that much because it doesn't, you know, it's very oriented towards rural America and towards so-called transformative projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not clear what that means, but, um, you know, the stuff that New York needs isn't necessarily transformative so much as just, um, you know, rescuing the things that it already has. And there was some comment I saw, I can't remember where, from either the White House or the Trump administration, a spokesperson basically saying, like, well, this tunnel project would mostly just serve, like, internal city uh, commuters. They're, they're constantly mm-hmm. saying that. And yeah. I, so right. I think they're that gets at your, this point about transformative. This is not a big new project for a region or... Right, which, of course, is, it, you know, it's obviously of regional and national importance. It doesn't require that much sort of uh, thinking to get to reach that conclusion. I mean, it's it's like the, the the tightest bottleneck on the Northeast Corridor. It serves, you know, the most important economic region in the country. Mm-hmm. If it if it if the existing tunnel collapses for before the new one gets built, it'll be devastating for the economy. And so, yet the administration has downgraded the importance of the project correct. to medium low, medium from low. medium high. Yes. And now I think under under the terms of the proposal or the agreement, I mean, the sense is that, you know, what would have been a 50-50 framework, which Mm -hmm. is typically how the federal government would approach something like Gateway and was sort of the handshake deal that they had with the Obama administration, will now move to something like 80-20, which makes, you know, the feasibility, you know, puts the feasibility of the project in question. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we'll end on that hopeful note. Um, (laughs) But I think that's where we're at with a lot of the transit and infrastructure discussion is... um, a lot of wait and see what um, elected leaders and appointed leaders are going to do about some of these crises and some of these projects and congestion pricing and other policies that will make a, a major difference in the years to come here in the New York area. Um, Dana Rubenstein from Political New York. You should check out Dana's writing, uh, her interview with Joe Loda, her other pieces on the MTA and more at Political New York. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dana. Thanks for listening. Bye.